Well, I hope that you're ready to come to the Word of the Lord. If you would, take your Bibles and open to Psalm 104. Uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and I'd really love for you to have, have the Scripture open this morning. We're actually going to read uh, some of this psalm together, and uh, so I'd love for you to have that before you. As we begin, I'd like to ask a question, something you to think about as we start. It's this, what is the greatest tragedy in the world today? What's the greatest tragedy? Is it terrorism? Is it war? Is it abortion or human trafficking or global warming or whatever? What would you think it would be? See, we can easily identify some great ills, some great evils, disasters, sufferings, problems in the world, but there's so many, how do you pick the greatest one? Today, as we come here to Psalm 104, the unidentified songwriter, because it's not, he's not named or for us, but they address the greatest tragedy in the world. It's 35 verses long, so we won't be able to spend a lot of time exploring every verse in depth, but it is my aim this morning for us to read all of it and hopefully to savor some of the richness of its flavor and then to understand its key thoughts and by God's grace that it will move us and change us through its great message. Its main point is right there in the very first verse where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. God is great. Would you join me in prayer as we come to Him with this message? Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. For here we we find instruction that we need. It is here in Your Word that we meet You. As we come before You, the great God, this, as we come this morning, I pray that You would help us to understand how very great You are. In the process of us being here and You meeting with us, that we will be changed. Father, I pray that You would overcome the, the stammering lips of this speaker, that You would overcome the hardness of our hearts, that You would overcome our preoccupation with other things, and for these, mo- these minutes together that we would be riveted upon You, and that You would meet with us here as we come to Your Word and that You would change us. Draw us near to You. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. God is very great. He states it in the first verse. It's His main theme. Let's read together the first four verses. If you've got your Bible open there, Reading from the ESV, if that's not your translation, there is one in the pew in front of you. Let's read together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. 
You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariots. He ride on the wings of the wind. He makes His messengers winds. His ministers a flaming fire. You know, we typically will describe someone's wealth or their importance or their, uh, their worth by what they wear or by where they live or by what they drive or by who they have surrounding them. In a sense, that's what the psalmist does here. He begins by saying that look at light. And you will notice that he says that the brilliant glory of light reflects God's splendors. Light, splendor. Light is like His clothes. On uh, Wednesday evening, I was driving back from Oklahoma and I was turned off of Interstate 44 just past Springfield to, to cut up through uh, Buffalo, Missouri. Some of you know that road. And, and as I was coming up that road, I, I looked over to my left and I was just mesmerized, as it were, by a gorgeous sunset. The sun was behind some clouds, and you've seen it when the sun will illuminate clouds, and they are this, these deep hues of purple and orange. And it was spectacular. And then, for after a few moments, the, the sun burst through some of the clouds, and there were, there were rays of light and shadows uh, streaking across the sky. It was spectacular. You've seen that. I think that may be part of what he has in mind when he says the light is like the God's clothes. Tomorrow, millions of Americans will, will head outside to take in a total eclipse of the sun. Some call it the most spectacular display you can see in nature. But if you've read anything, if you've watched anything on the TV about the eclipse, they will, you'll, you'll hear warnings everywhere. Don't look at the sun unless you're wearing, you know, those little silly looking glasses with ISO, blah, 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 2015 or whatever. It's on there. Gotta have those because the sunlight is so brilliant. And it has so much energy that even when it's partially hidden, even when it's somewhat filtered and you're tempted to think, I can look at it, it can blind you permanently. So, except unless it's in that moment, those little bit of totality, total eclipse, wear the glasses. Brilliant, beautiful, blinding, Powerful light, the songwriter says, yeah, that's like God's clothes. And he says, the heavens are His tent. I read this week, scientists say that our universe is 14 billion light years across. I didn't have the time to measure it personally. So, I'll take their word for it. 
It's huge! (laughs) And yet, it's just the roof of God's tent. My thoughts on that were, if that's His tent, I wonder what this house is like. (laughs) See, empty space. We talk about that, but space is not empty. It's God's space. God is present everywhere. All through the 14 billion light years of space, He is there in His glory. Space is His space. The heavens are His tent. He says the clouds are His chariot. The winds are His angelic messengers. Fire and lightning are His servants. Our God is great. Obviously, God doesn't use clothes. He doesn't need clothes. He doesn't need a house. He doesn't need a chariot. The songwriter is using those terms that we understand to try to understand the greatness of God. He is greater than all of those things. Greater than light. Greater than the stars of the tent of the universe. Creation not only displays His grandeur, it displays His authority. Let's read the next verses, verses 5-9. through Read with me. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that You appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. We don't have time this morning and we won't do this, but this it's interesting to note that this psalm is really a poetic version of Genesis chapter 1. And it's a great study to take the two chapters, Genesis 1 and this psalm, and lay them beside each other and see how He fits these together. Why do laws of physics exist? Because God made them. He said so. Creation displays His authority. God declared these things to be, and so warm air rises. Moisture vapor collects in the skies condenses and falls upon the earth. Water flows downhill. Ice floats in water. All of these things happen and so much more because God said, this is how it will be. Why is there dry land? Because God raised up the land and He gathered the waters into oceans and mountains and valleys and streams and waterfalls and islands. They all exist because God willed them to be. He continues as he talks about how creation displays God's goodness in these next verses. Verse 10, You make the springs gush forth in the valleys and they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heaven dwell and they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. 
You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly in the cedars of Lebanon that He planted. And in them the birds build their nests and the stork has her home in the fir trees. And the high mountains are for the wild goats and the rocks are for refuge for the rock badger. He says that God's goodness, you see, is seen in creation's satisfaction. There is, as the springs gush water and they, they give drink to creatures and they water the earth, and that those, the earth grows trees to house birds and it grows grass to feed the animals and, and it grows crops to, to feed and to nourish men and nurture men. What you see is there's marvelous complexity. There's marvelous interconnection. There's marvelous interdependence between earth and plants and animals. Flowers and plants need birds and bees and birds and bees need flowers and plants and they all go together. It's not random chance. It's not simply the growth and the progress of evolution. and It's not adaptations of evolution, but it's a magnificent Creator who has designed and who has enabled and who has fit together so that plants have what they need and creatures have what they need and He's enabled unusual creatures to live in unusual places so that you have goats up in the high rocky cliffs, He says. So that you have penguins in the icy Arctic swimming in those waters and you have camels who are just fine in the dry, dusty desert. And then just when we think we've seen it all, it's as if God winks and says, now, look at this. We discover unusual, even more unusual things and the world is full of them like the European water spiders somebody discovered a while back. The only spider that's known to live almost in its entire life underwater even though it's an air-breathing spider. It goes up to the surface of the water and flips up out of the water and uses the hairs on its body and its legs to trap little air bubbles as it then goes back underwater carrying these little bubbles to a web that it has spun and attached to a plant or something. And, and there it deposits the air bubbles and goes up and gets more until it creates a, a big bubble, a little balloon, as it were, of air where it lives. And from there it goes out and gets its food and then comes back and lives there. It lays its eggs there and it raises its young there all underwater. Who would think? <laughs> well, God did. Creation also works in rhythm that displays the faithfulness of God. Verses 19 through 23. Have your Bible open? Let's read them together. Verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes 
to His work and to His labor until the evening. Creation moves in rhythm. The sun rises every day. Everything happens in cycles and at the right times. And what we realize is that God designed the orbits and the rotations of the earth and the moon and the planets and has precise, has placed them precisely so that everything happens at precise times. And what we've learned is that all of those movements are essential to sustaining life on earth as we know it. Minute changes would ruin us. We literally set our clocks by these things that God set up. And the rhythms of life are for our benefit. And so the, the, uh, some of these creatures go out at night. The beasts of the forest and the lions that go out unfortunately, and fortunately they go to bed at night when man goes out to do his work. And that's a good thing if we lived in forests with lions which, again, fortunately, most of us don't. Tomorrow we'll see the moon cover the sun in a total eclipse. How is it that a moon that is 2,150 miles across diameter, how is it that it obscures a sun that is 8? 164,000 miles across. How is it that it just perfectly obscures it? The sun is 400 times larger than the moon, but it's also 400 times farther away. And from our vantage point, they appear to be the same size. When the moon crosses in front of the sun, it just blocks it completely except for the corona which is actually cool because then we get to see something we can't see. Scientists love it because they can study what to them is a great mystery. The corona, a million times hotter than the surface of the sun and yet a million times less bright than the surface of the sun. It's fascinating. Total eclipses are rare, so rare that any given point on earth will only see a total eclipse every 360 years. But they're fully predictable because God has placed everything in precision in its orbits and rotations. And so, go to almost any website on the eclipse and you can see when the next eclipses are going to happen, where, and they're mapped out for millennia to come if we're still around. Some witnesses of solar eclipses have called them stunning, amazing, incredible. My favorite is what one person said. A solar eclipse is like a giant wink from our Heavenly Father letting us know that the universe did not come about by an accident, but by perfect design. I agree. I think God created it just for the fun of it. So we could enjoy it. So He could enjoy it. Verses 24. Read it with me. Just verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. 
The earth is full of your creatures. The word manifold, literally many-fold, means numerous, or as the NIV says it, how many are your works. In fact, they are countless. The staggering diversity of creatures in this world displays the infinite wisdom of God. It is staggering. There are over one million, one, there's over one and a quarter million species of animals that have been identified on this planet. And biologists are discovering new ones continually. They know they haven't found them all. They estimate that there are some tens to hundreds of thousands of creatures of animals that they have yet to discover. And this isn't counting the insect world. In the insect world, they have identified roughly 900,000 known species of insects. Most of them are in my backyard. <laughs> but they, they, they say that the majority of insects still have yet to be discovered. And they estimate that somewhere between 2 million and 30 million different species of insects are still out there waiting to be discovered. In other words, we've just scratched the surface of knowing the creatures that share this planet with us. So many wonders in those creatures of design and beauty. And I think, what else explains creatures like the kangaroo, the panda bear, or the duck-billed platypus, except that God is just saying, hey, Link, look at this one! The psalmist continues, verse 25, Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan whom you formed to play in it. He calls our attention to the sea and says it just teems with even more uncountable, innumerable creatures. You know, the oceans are the most dominant feature of planet Earth. Over 70% of the Earth's surface is covered by ocean containing 95% of the Earth's water. Despite all the modern technologies and submersibles and satellites, the world under the sea still remains the least explored place on our planet. And it is filled with creatures and wonders that we're only beginning to understand. The Leviathan he mentions here refers to some large sea creature, exactly what we don't know. But did you notice what the psalm says about it? It says, Leviathan, whom you formed to play in it, the oceans. God created the Leviathan just to watch it play in the oceans. Again, as if to say, hey, watch this. This will give those ships I mentioned there some great stories to tell people. <laughs> You'll never believe this thing we saw out the ocean. Verse 27, 
God's glory continues to be displayed in His creation as we see that creation is dependent upon God. Verse 27, when all, These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Everyone and everything is dependent upon God for our food and for the breath in our lungs, for our very life. Colossians says it this way, all things were created through Him and for Him and He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. We have food because He gives it to us. We have life because He gives it to us. God has made us and He is keeping us alive. There's a practical lesson in that. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Your life, your times are in God's hands. He provides for every creature, including us, as He says in Matthew 6. If God provides for the birds, which He does, won't He also provide for you? Are you not of more value than birds? Trust God and worship Him because of His care for His creation, including you. We've made it through most of the psalm, and by now you may be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, when you started, you said this psalm is addressing the greatest tragedy on earth. But I'm not seeing it here. We're almost there. A little bit more. Verse 31 and 32. Let's read it together. Would you read verse 31 and 32? May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Creation shows that God is great. But creation exists for two purposes. And purpose number one, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. Creation exists to glorify God. To give Him glory. This past week, I was in Oklahoma visiting my mom. She's 96 years old. She has dementia. Has had for years. She doesn't know who I am. She can't tell you my name or hers. She can't tell you how many children that she has. Sometimes it's five boys or three girls, or and there's three boys, but she never gets it right anymore. She can't hold a real conversation about the past or the present. Still, this Monday evening as she was about to drift off to sleep, she was laying there and she looked at me and she said, I think I'm an old lady. <laughs> I said, yes, Mom, you are. She said, I don't know why God has left me here this long, but I know that He has a reason. And that reason is to honor Him. See, despite all the dementia, Mom understands her purpose in life better than most people. Creation exists to bring glory to God. Secondly, creation exists because God enjoys 
And He rejoices in His works. Did you see that? May the Lord rejoice in His works. And these aren't prayers. May this happen, or I hope this happen, or maybe this might happen. This is, when He says, may this happen, it's, it's like saying, Amen. Yes, it is true. And I'm adding my stamp of, I agree and I love it. The Lord rejoices in His works. It's amazing when you realize that the majority of flowers that ever bud and bloom blossom and die, they are never seen by human eyes. It is only the Creator who sees their beauty and enjoys their fragrance. As we just mentioned, there are, there are, this earth is full of creatures that we have never seen, never identified, but God knows them all. He enjoys every chirp, every wiggle, every flight, every bud, as each one goes about its life doing and being what He created them to be. Each one testifying to the infinitely powerful, infinitely wise Creator. So, what is the greatest tragedy? The greatest tragedy here on earth is that people People created in the image of God, created to, to live in praise of God, to glorify God, don't. We were made to be worshipers. We were created to worship. And worship is what we do. We, we worship things every day. We cheer and we celebrate sports. Athletics. We cheer for our teams. We cheer for our favorite player. We TiVo games so we never miss anyone that we think is important. We memorize statistics. We fawn over celebrities. Concerned about what they wear and what they do and what they say. We admire and collect beautiful things like art. Cars, jewelry. We can't get enough of songs that we like. See, we are ardent worshipers. We worship things. But instead of worshiping God, people tend to worship the things. Instead of worshiping the Creator, they tend to worship creation. And that's the great tragedy because when we worship the created things rather than the Creator, we miss out on what we were made to be. And it's also the greatest tragedy because every other ill, every other problem, every other tragedy is a symptom of that first tragedy. See, at the heart of every, of every ill, every problem... Every evil in this world is the fact that people, instead of worshiping God, they sinned and they worshiped the creation. You can see that in Romans chapter 1. We won't go there this morning, but I encourage you to go to the book of Romans chapter 1. Look through verse 18 down to the end of the chapter and read it. And what you see is that progression as people, instead of 
honoring the Creator who is evident to them from the things that have been made. They look around at the creation and they realize there is a Creator. How else does all this complexity, all this diversity come about? Had we someone who made it of high intelligence, wasn't that many years ago, Anthony Flew, one of the, one of the most intellectual atheists of our day, as he was touted, came to the conclusion that this couldn't have come about by accident. There must be a God. He did not become a Christian. He just said there must be a God. He died never coming to know Jesus. But he recognized it is absolute insanity to say that this just happened. The Romans says that people recognizing that there is a God did not honor Him as God nor give thanks But instead of worshiping the Creator, they began to worship created things. Their foolish hearts were darkened and God gave them over to their, their lust and their sin and this world became a big mess. Just read the chapter. And that's why it's a great tragedy. The greatest tragedy is that people do not worship God. The psalm calls us to two responses to correct the tragedy. Verse 33 Let's read 33 and 34 together. Two responses here. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. The first response that this psalm calls to you and me, it says, calls to us to be passionate worshipers. To be enthusiastic, ardent, lifelong worshipers who worship and praise and sing to God with all of our breath, with our whole life. Worship is not, and it was never intended to be, about an hour or so on Sunday morning. Now, there's nothing wrong. Matter of fact, there's everything good about gathering on Sunday morning. But gathering corporately to worship on a Sunday is intended merely to be the climax of a lifestyle of worship that is lived out every day of every week. It's a lifestyle of looking for the glory of God in every aspect of our every day and praising and worshiping Him throughout the day. Let me just give you a few little suggestions maybe to to help us become better worshipers during our every day. Take the time to open your eyes and marvel at God's creation for at least one thing every day. Tomorrow, look at the eclipse with your glasses. Or marvel at a spider web or a blade of grass or a drop of water. See the complexity, see the beauty and praise the Creator for His magnificent creation. Savor God's gifts. When you eat your steak burger, <laughs> savor. Are you getting hungry? Savor that thing. Savor a refreshing, cool drink when it's hot. Or maybe it's just the comfort of your lazy boy recliner. When you sit, when you eat, when you drink, when you enjoy any blessing. Savor it for a moment. Realize it's a gift from God and praise the Creator for it. 
Thirdly, praise God for His care. A hundred, a thousand times during the day, we should be going, thank you, God. I just stood up and I can stand. And you know what? For once my knee doesn't hurt. Thank you, God. An empty parking spot. Thank you, God. A green light and I'm in a hurry. Thank you. God's care. In the little things, the dailies, they are all gifts from Him. Fourthly, turn your problems into praise. Even your most of our problems are blessings. Your car just broke down. Praise God. I have a car. Your kids are driving you crazy. Praise God, I have kids. Or, your parents are driving you crazy. <laughs> Praise God, you have parents. Or you have homework. Praise God, you have the opportunity to have an education. Go on. Turn our problems to praise. Lastly, aim to know Him better. Read, listen, think about the Word of God and aim to put it into, pra- into practice. These things, I believe, if we do them consistently, daily, they will transform us into passionate worshipers. But there's a second thing this psalm calls us to, and it really seems kind of odd when you read it. If you would look at the last verse. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Does that seem odd to you? God consume the sinners from the earth. Amen. Let's go home. What is that doing there? This whole thing has been all about creation and the glory of God and creation and remove the sinners. First, fact. Judgment on sin and sinners is coming. God has made it plain. This psalm anticipates that there is a day of judgment coming and it praises that day because God will be glorified when sin and evil and wickedness and sinners are done away with. That will bring glory to the righteous God. It will justify and vindicate God and His righteousness and holiness. And then all creation will unanimously and wholeheartedly praise God. That's true and that's part, that's really the bulk of what the psalmist is saying here. But there's a truth behind this. See, thankfully, God has made another way for the wicked to, quote, be no more. And that is for the wicked to be saved from their sin and to be transformed from rebels to God followers and God worshipers. And that's good news. It's really good news because who among you and us never sinned? We all did, the Bible says. Except Jesus, all of us fall short. We sinned, fell short of God's glory. We deserve condemnation. We deserve to be part of that judgment. 
where we are no more. But the Bible says the good news, and by the way, the, the second response, the second remedy is that we are to be passionate witnesses of the good news I'm about to give. That the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is not to judge people from their, for their sin, but to rescue them from its penalty and from it. And that is why God sent Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so that's an invitation from the awesome Creator God to you this morning if you have never come to the place where you put your trust and faith in Jesus and know Him as your Savior. God calls you and invites you to that. For all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, then this is our greatest reason to praise God. Our greatest reason to be a passionate worshiper is that God loved us so much He rescued us at the cost of God Himself bearing the very penalty that we deserved. It's also, then for those of us who know Jesus Christ, it is our great mission to be passionate witnesses to take this good news to a lost world of people who do not know nor worship God. While that's our great mission, I was thinking this week as I was meditating on this passage and on this concept, and I, I realized as I looked at my own life, as I contemplated our church, as I thought about the Christian community at large in the United States, and I realized that our witness for Christ is pretty anemic. It's pretty pitiful. If I really put, put us on the spot and went around and asked, how many, how many people have you shared Christ with in the last six months, in the last year, in the last three years? How many people have come to know Christ through your testimony, my testimony, our testimony? Why is our witness for Christ so anemic? And I realized as I thought through this psalm, which ends at this point, and I realized the answer is in the whole psalm. I think our witness is anemic because our worship is anemic. Then I came across a quote by John Piper that says it's so much better than I. As usual, he is so eloquent. He says, you cannot commend what you do not cherish. You cannot proclaim what you do not prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. I thought about that. See, if we are passionate worshipers, we're going to be so excited about God, we just can't help but tell people about Jesus Christ. It's going to spill out. We don't need to have a pastor guilt us to, be, to, preach, to go and share the gospel, to share our faith. It's simply what will come out. So it's the wrong thing to, to start by saying, go be passionate witnesses. Rather, it's go be passionate worshipers. And passionate witnesses will follow. And so that's my challenge to all of us this week. 
That's my prayer. May He use His Word to move us to be passionate worshipers that we might then become also passionate witnesses. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. It, it has shown us here what we need to know. Not always what we like to see because sometimes it's this great mirror that reflects blemishes and faults and flaws. What we see is how short we fall of being great worshipers. While most of us in this room have trusted Christ as our Savior, the reality is we still tend to go and worship things. We tend to set up little idols in our lives, things we put ahead of You. You call us to enjoy all things. You've created them for our enjoyment. But we're to do it in worship of You and we tend to kind of get stuck on just the things and we miss the giver of the things. Lord, cause us to fall in love with You, to be passionate about You, to be passionate worshipers who marvel at Your creation and savor Your gifts and praise You for Your care and even turn our problems to praise. That our heart would be as Paul, that we may know You. And then, Lord, that that enthusiasm as we get to know You and we worship You, that it would be catchy as it spills out to a world around us. Folks who are stuck in futility because they also do not know the Creator. So may we then be passionate witnesses who point them to You. We praise You, great God, from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.